So there was a man who went out hunting one day in the wilderness of Oregon, or for some of you, Oregon. And he went out hunting, and after a long and unsuccessful day, he decided to go back to his camp as evening approached. And as he walked along the winding, overgrown path, he heard a noise up ahead of him, some rustling in the bushes. And before he could react, an animal burst out of the bushes and ran right towards him. And he looked down, and he saw at his feet a small brown cottontail rabbit trembling right in front of him. That's strange behavior for a wild animal, run up to a person like that. But he didn't have to wonder long what was happening when he heard some more noise up ahead. Out of another set of bushes popped a wild weasel. Its red eyes, its heavy breathing, looked at its prey, and then he looked up at the man. Well, that's when the man realized that he had stumbled into the middle of this cottontail's battle for survival. And he was the last hope that this small rabbit had. In fact, the rabbit huddled closer to the man's boots. This large human was all that stood between it and death. And the man didn't disappoint. He lifted up his rifle, shot the ground right near the weasel, and that weasel ran faster than it ever had in its life when it scurried back into the woods. The rabbit sat there for a little while longer in the safety of the man's shadow before it also hopped back off into the wilderness. And I think we could all agree that the weasel was wise to run away from the man, just like the rabbit was wise to run to the man. And what about us, believers? In our moments of fear, uncertainty, desperation, and need, do we have the wisdom to run to the one who can truly protect provide and give us his peace? Do we run to God? How often do we find ourselves at his feet, bringing him our praise, our concerns, our uncertainties, our confession of sin? How often do we pray? Seems that many Christians today have made prayer an afterthought in their lives. It's something that they might do occasionally before meals or if they think about it before they go to sleep. The truth is, a lot of us, we throw up these 10-second prayers, and then we're disappointed when God doesn't move mountains for us. We start to wonder why he feels so distant, why we don't see him work wonders and work powerfully like he did in Scripture. And then we start to doubt his greatness and goodness rather than examining our own faithfulness to seek him. As we return this morning to our Why I Believe sermon series, we are going to look at why we as Christians believe in prayer. Now, there's a lot of things that we could talk about with prayer. In fact, I wrestled with that this week. So this morning, we are specifically going to look at the fact that prayer is a key factor to whether or not a believer lives a pitiful or powerful Christian life. That's what we're going to be looking at. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along. We're going to start out in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along. Use one of the Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 970. Page 970. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to be jumping around a little bit in Scripture this morning. But again, I encourage you to follow along as best you can. If you can't follow along, if I move too fast, jot these references down. Go home. Look at them. Read these verses. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 14. It says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, 
But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now go ahead and stop right there. In the Old Testament, there were many priests who served in the temple in Jerusalem, but there was one high priest. And one of the jobs of the high priest was that once a year, he would go to the innermost part of the temple and stand before God for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole nation, including himself. Right? He, he interceded for the people. He was their representative. But these high priests, they were, well, they were sinners like us, imperfect people. Ultimately, they were just a shadow of what was to come. Now, why don't we have high priests like this anymore? It's because now we have Jesus. And unlike those high priests who themselves, they sinned, and one day they died, and they were buried, unlike them, Jesus never sinned. In fact, he became our sacrifice for sin. And Jesus powerfully rose from the dead, and therefore he's our high priest forever. We don't need anyone else to intercede before the Father on our behalf other than Christ himself. But here's the thing. Through Jesus, that means that we, we now have full access to the throne of God. You see, before, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and come into the presence of the Most High God, and that was only once a year. But through Jesus, not only are we able to come into the presence of God, but we're told that we can do that with confidence. And not just once a year, we can do this every day. Church, let's grasp what Hebrews chapter 4 is telling us. We can freely, believers, we can freely and confidently approach the throne of God the King of kings, the creator of all things. And he is there to provide mercy and grace and help in our times of need. Believers, do, do we realize the greatness of this? Do we realize this in our lives? Because you see, there are many Christians who walk around thinking to themselves, well, Jesus just doesn't get what I'm going through. As though Jesus wasn't tempted in every way as us, and yet without sin, which means he understands temptation better than we do. Or there are many Christians who say, God doesn't want me to bother him with this right now. As though we're limited to approaching his throne for certain things, or only on certain occasions, or once a year, instead of being able at all times to come before him. Or there are some Christians who, they'll ask others to pray for their situations, but they themselves won't pray because they think, well, no, other people, they're more qualified, they're more acceptable to God, without realizing that every Christian can confidently approach the throne of God's grace and that falling at his feet is the most powerful place we can be. You see, some Christians, sadly, have lost sight of the greatness of prayer. And the first thing that I want us to understand this morning is that the Christian who experiences God's power in their life is the Christian who is immersed in personal prayer. That would be the believer who is often found at the Father's throne. This is the believer who often will experience the power of God in their lives. Now let me make some things clear. I'm not saying that prayer makes you powerful. That's not what I'm saying. No, prayer is powerful because it seeks God's power in our situation. I'm also not saying that everything you pray is going to happen. This is not some name it and claim it teaching that I'm giving you today. Now the Bible is clear, believers, that we need to pray in faith 
according to God's will. The Bible's also clear that things like sin and unbelief can hinder our prayers. But the Bible is also clear that the all-powerful God of the universe tells his children to come into his presence. And if you think for a moment that God is unable or unwilling to unleash his mighty power in those things that please him, you're mistaken. James chapter 5 tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Yet so many Christians seem to be relying on themselves in their situations rather than relying on God. They're the same ones who often wonder why, why God isn't working in their lives. But they aren't going to him with a proper heart and persistent prayer. Trust me, church, pitiful is the Christian who goes through life without often being found before the throne of God in personal prayer. And not only should we seek him in our times of need, but at all times. Philippians 4 said that we should pray in every situation. You see, until we learn to be found at the feet of our Savior in prayer, we're not going to see the power of Jesus Christ in our lives, nor will we ever truly know Jesus Christ in a deep and personal way. You see, the common factor for those Christians who say they don't feel close to the Lord, they don't know Him well, well, the common factor is that they don't spend time with the Lord. They don't spend time talking to Him in prayer. They don't spend time talking to His words to them in Scripture, reading the... These things have become a second thought in their lives rather than second nature. Believers, James chapter 4, verse 8 tells us that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. But how are we going to know God if we never spend time talking with Him? See, without personal prayer, we're not going to draw near to God. We're not going to know Him, and we won't know His power in our lives or situations either. Consider the example of our Savior. Jesus prioritized personal prayer during his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 5 tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In the Gospel of Luke, the following chapter, we're told about a time that Jesus spent the whole night in personal prayer to the Father. Before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was Jesus doing? He was praying. So if if dedicated personal prayer was important to Jesus, shouldn't it be important to his followers? Thankfully, many Christians over the years have recognized the importance of prayer, the necessity of personal prayer, and the power of God to answer their prayers. One great example of this was George Mueller, a name some of you might be familiar with. George Mueller in the 19th century, he opened and led a lot of orphanages in England. And George Mueller became known for his faithfulness in personal prayer, and he became known for someone who saw God many times powerfully and miraculously answer his prayers. Because, you see, there were a lot of days that George Mueller, well, he didn't have any money to feed the kids or to pay his workers. He didn't know where the money was going to come from. But he knew that the greatest thing he could do was go to the Lord in prayer. So that's what he did time and time again. He was found praying to the Lord. On one day like that, George Mueller went out in the morning, he was walking, praying to the Lord because he didn't know how they were going to give the kids breakfast that day. He didn't know what to do. So he started talking to the Lord about the need that they had. He started praying to God to provide an answer for them. He wasn't really thinking about where he was going. That wasn't his concern. 
So he turned onto a road that he hadn't planned on walking, and as he walked on the road, someone walked up to him and handed him the money that he needed to feed the kids that morning. That's a simple story, but as I read that one this week, I thought to myself, you know, that might shock some of us if we were in his place. We, we were praying to the Lord, and someone walked up and handed the money we needed for our exact request. I don't think that shocked George Muir the way it may shock some of us, because George Muir, he knew the power of God to answer prayer. Do we know the power of God to answer our prayers, believers? The Christian immersed in personal prayer does. By the way, I know that that's true for many of you who are here today. Now, not only should personal prayer be a priority for the Christian, but so should praying with other Christians. In his book, And the Place Was Shaken, John Franklin writes this. He says, guess what one of the common denominators is everywhere that Christianity marches forward. The Christians spend significant time praying together. He writes, in Korea and China, many churches meet every morning to pray at least an hour before going to work. And then they have all-night prayer meetings on Friday. In India, the believers began prayer meetings once or twice a week for their lost neighbors. He said, in all the areas of the world where Christianity is growing, Christians spend time praying together. You see, church, praying is something we can and should do on our own, but it was never meant to be something that we always do alone. This is something the churches need to understand, something that the early church understood quite well. That one of the greatest things that they could do together was pray with each other. Let me give you some examples. It says in Acts chapter 1, uh, this is after Jesus ascended to heaven, in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 it says that the believers all joined together constantly in prayer. Let me give you another example. If you'd like to turn there, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. If you're following along one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary, it's page 884. Page 884, Acts chapter 2. This took place after the day of Pentecost. The church was growing leaps and bounds. And listen to how the church was described in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says this to the believers in the early church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by all the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look, I do not believe that it is a coincidence that the church was dedicated to corporate prayer, that means praying together, that they were dedicated to the teaching of God's word and to fellowship and to evangelism, and that they were also living in unity and witnessing the power of God moving in their midst. I don't think that's a coincidence, church. And that's because the Christian who experiences God's power in their life is the Christian immersed in corporate prayer. They understand the importance of that. They're a part of praying with other believers. You see, when the church prays together, the believers are united. They're united in their pursuit of God's will and God's purposes in their situation. 
Not only will those believers grow closer to God and to one another, but many times they will see God respond in wonderful ways to prayer. I mean, consider this. If the prayer of one righteous believer is powerful and effective, well, then how much more wonderful is it when a room full of believers comes together to seek God's will alongside each other? If we want to see God's power in our lives, we need to be persistent in personal prayer. And if we want to see God's power in the church, we need to be persistent in corporate prayer. It's interesting to me how many of us as Christians, we long for the power of the early church without praying like the early church. See, when they prayed, they experienced the power, the greatness, the might of God. Let me give you an example. Turn to Acts chapter 12. Again, if you're using one of those Bibles, that's page 893. Acts chapter 12. Let me give you a little background. Acts chapter 12, the church was off to a roaring start. People were getting saved. Miracles abounded. And the believers were living in harmony. But the devil was on the move. Persecution broke out against the church. The apostle James was killed by King Herod. And then Peter was arrested. Put in prison, chains, guards, the whole nine yards. And we're told that in the midst of that, in verse 5, we're told that the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. As they did this, this is what happened, verse 6, Acts chapter 12. It says, the night before Herod was to bring him, that's Peter, to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. Sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. As God's people gathered together with one heart and one mind, these prayer meetings that they were having for Peter, they prayed God would rescue the Apostle Peter. And we find that not only was that rescue part of God's will, but that God did it in this incredible way. And God has long blessed and moved powerfully among those churches that have been faithful to come to him in corporate prayer. In the 19th century, a powerful ministry took place under the preaching of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon had a church that grew to become one of the largest of his day. Had over 5,000 members and many more people who attended on Sundays. And Spurgeon attributed much of this to the power of prayer. In fact, he is said to have shown people a room in his church that he referred to as the boiler or furnace room. The place where the power really came from. And when people looked inside, they realized that that room was... Well, it was just a room where Christians were praying, where believers had gathered together. That's where the power came from. In fact, many times, hundreds of believers were praying there as Charles Spurgeon preached. 
Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, whatever I am in the church of God this day, I owe under God's blessing to your prayers. As long as your prayers sustain me, I shall not flag nor fail. But if your prayers be gone, then my power is gone. For the Spirit of God is gone. And then what can I do? He said, all through the church of God, the true progress is in proportion to the prayer. I want you to understand, church, because I believe this with great conviction, that one of the reasons God has blessed this church, First Baptist Church of Oxford, to be in this community for 144 years, that one of the reasons is because there's always been a faithful group to gather together every week in prayer, like a prayer meeting. That small group who gathers together to beseech God on behalf of this church and its members and its needs, that group has seen God answer many prayers. The unity of this church, even during hard times, the longevity of this church, it's all because of God's greatness and goodness, His grace and His power. And I believe that if we stop meeting to pray, we will quickly dwindle away. Just as I believe that if more of us gather to pray together, we will see God's power in even more ways than we do now. One last point for the believer who wants to live in the will of God and see his power displayed. If you're following along, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's page 958. We're using the Bibles here in the sanctuary. 1 Thessalonians 5. Familiar verses for all of us, verses that I pray we all are applying to our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. It says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Elsewhere in the Bible, in James chapter 4, we're told that we don't have because we don't ask God. And because many of the times we ask God, we ask with the wrong motives. Here's the thing, believers, our motives and our desires need to be focused on God's will, and then we need to bring those things to God continually in prayer. In fact, the Christian who experiences God's power in their life is a Christian who is immersed in continual prayer. Let me share an example of a believer like that. Many of us have probably heard the account of God powerfully rescuing Daniel from the lion's den. I have a feeling a lot of us have heard that story, especially if you grew up in church. Probably one you heard many times in children's church. But I want us to consider for a minute this morning what led up to that whole ordeal. You see, during that time, Israel was living in captivity in Babylon. And God gifted an Israelite named Daniel. He gifted him with great wisdom and knowledge. So much so that the king made Daniel the chief administrator in his kingdom. Oh, but the other government leaders were jealous of Daniel. They wanted the power. They wanted the prestige. They needed Daniel out of the way. But you see, there was a problem. They couldn't find any corruption in Daniel. Couldn't find any fault in him. So they had to attack his faith. So they tricked the king into signing a decree that for 30 days, everybody in the land could only pray to the king, or else they'd be tossed to the lions. Now, even when Daniel heard about this, he continued to pray to God and to God alone. So Daniel was arrested, 
thrown into the lion's den, and then, as many of us know, this man who was faithful in prayer was powerfully rescued by God. And this is what I want us to think about with his story this morning. Daniel was so consistent in his prayer life that even his enemies knew about it. I mean, prayer was something that defined Daniel. So much so that they made this law because they knew it was the only way they were going to get him. I mean, how could Daniel not pray? It was too much of who he was. And I was thinking about Daniel's story this week, and I started to wonder, would a law like that, would it endanger any of us today? Would it endanger me? Would it endanger many of God's people? If a law like that was passed today? We've been commanded to pray continually, believers. And when the Bible talks about praying continually, that doesn't mean that all you do is sit there with your, your hands folded, whispering supplications 24-7. That's not what that means. Now, it means that you're in a continual attitude of prayer. prayer. Prayer is an intricate and regular part of your day. It's like breathing. It comes so naturally and necessary to you. We should be like that dear departed Christian of whom others said that he glided from laughter to prayer with the naturalness of someone who lived in both elements because he was in constant fellowship with his heavenly father. Believers, God wants us to continually pray to him. That's something that I think we really need to let sink into all of our hearts, that the God of creation, the giver of salvation, the sustainer of his people, wants us to come into his great and holy presence and pray all the time. See, God believes that prayer matters, and so should we. Church, here's the thing. Pitiful is the life of the Christian who tries to go through their problems alone or to solve them on their own ingenuity without first and foremost running to the throne of God's grace. Pitiful is the Christian who never enters into the joy and the encouragement and the unity of corporate prayer. Pitiful is the Christian who prays very little because they will know their Savior very little and they will know His power very little in their lives. Don't live a pitiful life like that when the powerful God of the universe has told you to come into His presence continually. Why would we live any other way? Church, here's the truth this morning. We will see God move powerfully in our lives when prayer is an intricate part of our lives. We will see him move powerfully in our lives when prayer is an intricate part of our lives. Look, I'm not saying he's going to answer every single prayer of yours the way that you want him to. Praise God, he does not answer our prayers many times the way that we want him to. His ways are better. And there's a lot more that we could say about prayer. This is just the start. But let's start praying, believers, every day. Every day, and as often as you can, with one another and in your personal life, get to praying. I understand it can be hard when God doesn't answer our prayers in our way or in our timing, but we are commanded to keep praying continually. So believer, keep going before his throne. Keep seeking his will. Keep relying on his strength and power in your situation. And when he answers, whether or not it's the answer you were looking for, when he answers... Be sure to go right back to his throne and praise him for answering your prayer.
So let me encourage and challenge all of us this week because maybe there are some of us here who, these are new things. The idea of being dedicated to personal prayer, to corporate prayer, continual prayer. If that's true for you, and if you're wondering, where should I start? Let me, let me challenge us with just a couple simple things we could do this week. All right, the first one is, Start each and every day this week with at least five uninterrupted minutes of prayer. Start with five uninterrupted minutes of prayer each day. And meet and pray with other Christians at least once a week. Maybe you can't make it to prayer meeting on Wednesday. Find another time to gather with other Christians and pray with them. Start with these things. And I trust that as you do, you'll see how prayer starts to come more naturally to you throughout your day. And in your situations, how you start to grow closer to the Lord. Let's be a praying people. Let's be a praying church. First Baptist Church. And if you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand that there is only one prayer that you need to be truly concerned with in your life. If Jesus is not your Savior, the prayer you need to be concerned with is the prayer in which you give your life to Jesus as your Savior. And let me tell you what powerful things God will do the moment you give your life to Jesus. The moment you give your life to Jesus, Jesus will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. The moment you give your life to Jesus, he will forget all of your sins. The moment you give your life to him, Jesus will bring you into his family. Then you can go to God and call him your father, which is a truth that's only true for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. The moment that you give your life, to Jesus Christ, he will come and live within you and allow you to live and love in a way you have never lived and loved before. And the moment you give your life to Jesus, he will give you eternal life. The guarantee that when this life ends, you won't be separated from God in hell. No, you'll be with him forever in his presence. If you have never made that decision and you would like to do that, understand, friend, that the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is no greater decision that you can make. There's no greater prayer than you can make than to go to the Lord in prayer today and pray that by faith. If you've never done that, we want to give you the chance to before you leave. Let's pray together. If that's true for you, if you're here and Jesus isn't your Savior, you can't say with confidence that you've been forgiven of your sins, that you've been made right with God, that you've been pardoned from the penalty of hell, that you have eternal life. If you don't know that you know that, don't go through life that way. When Jesus wants to powerfully rescue you from hell, forgive you of all your sins and bring you into his family, if you want to make that decision, you can come and talk to me during this final song. We can pray together. But if you're ready right now, I don't want you to have to wait another moment. You can go to Jesus in prayer and pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sins are separating me from you. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And that you powerfully rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and to be my Savior. Jesus, today I'm giving you my life. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who, who made that decision for the first time, 
I pray that they would tell someone before they leave and that everyone who hears it would be quick to run to you and praise you in prayer. And help all of us, Father, those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Christ, help us to be quick to praise you in our situations and when you answer our prayers. Help us to be a people immersed in personal prayer. That it would just be such a natural part of our daily lives that we couldn't help but pray. Help us to know the importance of corporate prayer, that we would want to pray with our fellow Christians. And when we see you move, when we see you do great things, when you answer our prayers, I pray we would always be found praising you so that this would be a place where you are glorified, where you are honored, where your people are unified as we seek you, that this would be a church that's all about you and not about us. Father, we love you. We know that you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name.